0: This Voice of San Diego podcast is sponsored in part by the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a nonprofit news organization, Voice of San Diego depends on our members, foundations, and sponsors like the Downtown Partnership. We are very grateful for all of our donors and we will recognize their support during the show. Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership on Saturday, April 21st for East Village Sessions popular free workout event held on the streets of downtown San Diego. This one-day fitness event offers various workouts that will start your weekend off right. Join the Downtown Partnership at 8th Avenue and J Street for one class or stay for all five. Visit downtownsandiego.org for details and to register today. And if you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor, contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org. San Diego's got the zoo, SeaWorld,
1: beaches, and Comic-Con. Tourists like it here. Entertainment and hospitality is one of the top 10 industries in San Diego. Hotels and other tourism-related businesses account for one in eight local jobs. Hotels also brought in about $113 million in tax revenue for the city last year. Because hotels play such a big role in our region, their owners have some political power. Hotel industry leaders are heavily involved in local politics. They've pushed to expand the convention center and called for stricter regulations on the Airbnb and home sharing industry. And in the last few years, some of them have taken on an active role in advocating to boost homeless services. It turns out tourists don't like to see homeless people sleeping on city streets. Elvin Lai is one of those local hotel owners involved in city politics. He's CEO of Ocean Park Inn, a boutique hotel in Pacific Beach that has 72 rooms. I caught up with Elvin at a cafe in Bird Park, where he was meeting with Councilwoman Barbara Bree. He just moved into her district, and he shot the councilwoman an email asking if he could somehow help out. Before Barbara showed up to the Sidewalk Cafe, Elvin leaned over to me and said, I bet she asked me to join a planning group. (laughs) He was right. So, um,
2: have you ever been on a local planning group? (laughs) I was just telling her that. Um,
1: (laughs) You're listening to I Made It in San Diego, Voice of San Diego's podcast about the region's businesses and the people behind them. I'm Kinsey Moreland, and on this episode... How Elvin Lai was unexpectedly handed his family's hotel when he was just 21 and somehow managed to grow that business while also becoming a serial entrepreneur and an active community member. Elvin was born in San Diego. His parents were immigrants from Taiwan. As soon as his family got to the United States, his dad opened a laundromat in Pacific Beach. The entrepreneurial spirit runs deep in Albin's family, but it's also just part of Chinese culture.
2: My grandfather um, opened up a hotel in Taiwan as well um, and had other small ventures and real estate ventures on top of that. that I think the entrepreneurial spirit um, actually in Taiwan, it was just called life because most people just did that. Um, you either, and it wasn't until they came to the United States that they had really learned about what the entrepreneurial spirit was was like um they never heard it categorized that way Hmm, so it really took my dad i think 15 years um to really explain to me how the american culture was different from the chinese culture chinese culture this is how we survive in taiwan and this united states it's like you have entrepreneurs because it's more of a luxury item not a survival item so it was interesting for him to dis- you know, dissect the two.
1: Elvin is an only child. His parents leveraged everything to give him the best upbringing they could. When he was five, his parents sold their big home in Spring Valley to buy a small house in Poway, the neighborhood with the best school district. Elvin's dad eventually sold the laundromat. His grandfather, who owned a hotel in Taiwan, partnered with a family in the U.S. and bought a small motel in Pacific Beach. In 1988, Elvin's father and uncle bought the motel, rebuilt it, and reopened it in 1991 as Ocean Park Inn. As the family grew its wealth, Elvin's parents tried not to spoil him. Elvin's dad taught him early on about the value of earning and
2: saving money. I got a monthly allowance, and the allowance um, was then deducted from the things that I had to do. So for instance, when I got my license at 16, he gave me his old beat-up car for 1986, 740 Turbo Volvo. Uh, the thing was a beast of a, t- it was a tank. Um, and it never sped up at all. It was just kind of <laughs> like a slow lawnmower. Um, did it on purpose. But what he did was he says, okay, this, the value of this car is $8,000. I'm gonna charge you $250 a month plus a 5% interest. So every single month at the dinner table, the first of the month, we would do all the accounting. We would figure out, here's your allowance minus your 250. So my allowance was 500 a month um, for school, books, whatever I needed, gas money or whatnot. Uh, And I was working on top of that too. And everything was deducted from that. So the 250 was half of that. And then he would reimburse me for things. But I also could take loans. So if I like, okay, well, I really wanted to get this video game and it was $60, or if I really wanted to get this jacket and it was $30 or something like that, or this pair of shoes, I was like, dad, I don't have money. Can I borrow money? Sounds good. Well, six months into it, I realized uh, we were doing the finances. Hey, my dad says, you owe me money. What? You're supposed to be giving me money. How do I owe you money? He's like, well, let's do all the calculations. Here are your loans at 5%. Loan, 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 loan. Here's the interest for everything. Here's your debt and all that kind of stuff. Here's your gas, half the gas money that I owe you. You still owe me money. And it just shocked me. It's like I had created so much debt with my father that I had owed him money. It was... And then I was 17 at, uh, no, 16, little, just before I turned 17, uh, and just realized, you know, how important finance was. So Mm -hmm. it was his way of teaching me um, how he learned himself and through small little things like that he taught me. So that's, I think, that's part of that entrepreneurial spirit in that daily life as I was growing up, the nurturing, what he taught me.
1: Elvin graduated at the top of his class and went on to UC San Diego. He wanted to be a doctor.
2: So, biology, minor in chemistry, I was working at Scripps Institute in immunology at that time. I wanted to do an immunology study of um, infectious diseases, epidemiology. Really wanted to get my hands dirty on those really nasty diseases and really <laughs> learn how they worked and stuff. So, uh, I don't know, it just intrigued me.
1: Then, just days away from his 21st birthday, his dad died of a sudden heart attack. There were no precursors. His dad never smoked, never drank. He was a healthy guy. The death came as a major shock.
2: It was very difficult because I didn't know where to start. Um, I didn't know what to do, how to do it, what to think, how to think. I didn't have someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, I had my family members, um, but they were so distraught themselves that their brother would pass away that way. So, uh, and my mom was taking it really, really hard too. I was really on my own, um, so I really looked outside one of the first things that I did was I built a board of governors.
1: Talk about a future CEO. Elvin's gut reaction to his father's death was essentially to build his own board of directors.
2: I said, I need a, a group of people to help me. So I looked at all those people that helped my dad, uh, attorneys, uh, financial advisors, bankers, um. Uh, anyone and everybody. So I built a board of governors, people that I can call to, uh, my best friends, dads, you know, type of thing. I just, I put them all on my board and made a call list. So if I ever had an issue, I would just make that call and just call down that list. And Mm -hmm. the other thing too was, you know, I joined the university club, business club right away. You know, I I think I was the youngest member ever to join the (laughs) club um, at that time, at least. And just to surround myself with individuals that are like, that I wanted to be like, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the whole idea of faking it until you make it or, you know, rubbing <laughs> shoulders with people and just kind of learn their ways, but mm-hmm. I really looked outside for that education.
1: Soon after his dad's death, while the family was still planning the funeral, Elvin's mom presented him with a big decision.
2: My mother came to me and she's like, "Elvin, you have a choice now. Do you want to continue to follow your dreams of becoming a doctor or study epidemiology?" Or do you want to take over the family business? You know, fulfill your father's shoes and you know take over the legacy type of thing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Mom, that's not really a choice, right? And she's like, No, it is. It's a, it is a choice because your aunt says she's more than happy to look after our interests. She's go, she'll go to work. She'll do everything. But my mom was basically saying, We, I think that it's personally best for you as an individual, based on your personality. That this business that you should run the business.
1: His mom was right. Elvin dove in and thrived as the hotel's new young CEO. So you stepped in as the head of the hotel and also finished college Correct. that same year. Yep.
2: So and I finished college. And you were twenty-one. I was twenty-one. I finished college right right after I was twenty-two. So it took me a year and a half to finish. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, what was the biggest challenge, was it? I mean, you look young now. Yep. I'm sure you looked, even, yeah, yep. obviously, a lot yeah. younger then. Yeah. Um, was it hard to get the respect of the employees?
2: It was... It wasn't shown that it was difficult to get respect of the employees. It was definitely there all the time. So, um, one thing that my dad left with me was, respect is not given, respect is earned. Um, and I liken that to the, uh, the aspect of, you know, I tell my staff this all the time. Um, if you're given a cup of, glad, a cup of water, uh, the cup of water is your respect cup. Uh, when you step into a managerial role, you're given a full cup. You know, as you drink from that cup, it's slowly depleted. It's your responsibility to replenish that cup of respect. So that's why, you know, res- yes, respect is earned because of the position that you're holding But you need to really replenish that cup and serve everyone else as well and earn their respect. So I spent a lot of time at the hotel. I slept at the hotel on my desk and trying to figure out how to run the business. So through, I think, my efforts, um, the staff learned. You know, I led by example. They learned that I was committed to the family business. I was committed to their livelihood because I knew that their livelihoods were on the line too, that the sex success of the business was not just for my family, but for theirs as well. Um, so I took that very seriously. Uh, as a biology major, I really saw a business as a symbiotic relationship with things. So not only, so for instance, like my housekeeping department is the liver, you know, my engineering team is the white blood cells, you know, um, and the, the guests are the, the bloodstreams, you know, running through the organism where the corporate office and inside the hotel is the brain. So everything works together for that organism to survive. And if any one piece of that fails, the whole thing fails.
1: So you're 21 years old. You're sleeping under your desk yeah. in your office at the hotel. Did you make payroll every month? Did hmm. you? Were there any lapses that yep. happened right out of the gate? Talk to me about those.
2: So as I was learning through everything, there were a lot of lapses. There were lapses in, uh, and luckily I had a great staff that I was transitioning with. So we had an excellent general manager, Al Cessler, excellent um, assistant general manager, front desk staff. So uh, honestly, I, I walked into a pretty well-oiled machine already. So, but the the big company decisions were not being made, um, and the family started to step in to make to help me make those decisions. Um, but there were lapses in payroll, there were lapses uh, in getting payroll out, or lapses in bills getting done all the kinds as I was learning the ropes. Um, Cash crunches um, were few and far between only because my father had already instilled upon me how to run cash um, at a very, very early age. So I saw the spreadsheets, it was interesting, when I saw his computer and was able to log in finally, it took me three days just to log into his computer. (laughs) (laughs) So once I was able to log into his computer, all the things that he was teaching me as I was growing up were in spreadsheets on his computer. So it was very instinctual for me to just kind of jump in and be like, okay, I know where my dad's thinking on this. Now I know what this means. Oh, okay. I know what my dad's thinking about this. And I get that now, you know? So those little things that he taught me at the kitchen table were all actualized in on his spreadsheets for business. So it was learning the how to do the business was the hard part and just understanding my dad's thought processes as he was uh, running the business. Um, And that took about two years to really get solid.
1: Elvin wanted to learn more about how to run a successful business. So here's where things get a little weird. I would like to talk to you about an exciting opportunity. I just need 30 minutes of your time to explain it, but it has the potential to transform your life. I'm talking about multi-level marketing companies. Elvin continued running the family hotel, but he decided a good way to learn business strategies quickly was to get into the multi-level marketing world. Mary Kay Cosmetics, Amway, Herbalife, Usborne Books, those are all MLM businesses. They're the type of friend-to-friend companies often written off as pyramid-schemey. That's because the companies mostly only benefit the people at the very top of their game. The rest mostly lose money and friends. When we come back, how Elvin's foray into multi-level marketing and then a handful of other business ventures won and lost him money, but also ultimately made him into a better hotelier.
2: What you waiting for? A hundred people. Share with everybody. They want what we have. We got it.
1: Okay, hold on. I'm supposed to share that with 10 people I love, adore, and admire. That's a tough ask. Let's see. Um, there are the
0: judges on this Voice of San Diego podcasts are also sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch School. Monarch School educates students impacted by homelessness, helping them develop hope for a future with the necessary skills and experience for personal success. Monarch is holding its annual fundraiser, Building Bright Futures on April 26th. Join event chairs Tracy Hoffman and recent Hall of Fame inductee Trevor Hoffman at the event. Find out more at monarchschools.org events. And if you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor, contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org.
1: Hey, welcome back to I Made It in San Diego, I'm Kinsey Moreland. When his dad died and Elvin stepped in to run the family's hotel, he was still young and inexperienced when it came to business. He wanted to learn more and fast. So instead of taking a business class like most people might, Elvin dove headfirst into multi-level marketing selling herbal supplements to his friends.
2: I knew I needed to learn accounting because money is the lifeblood of business. But one of the things I didn't know how to do was sales. I mean, I was a lab rat up until this point. Uh, yes, I was very social, but I was—I didn't have business acumen or social skills in that setting. Uh, at being a part of the university club at that time, I still wasn't interacting like I thought I should be. So I got hooked up with this multi-level marketing company um, and I said, okay, well, let's give it a try. If anything, I'll learn how to sell me and sell a product better. One of the things, and I got really close with the owner of the multi-level marketing company. And he taught me, he goes, Elvin, you need to go buy a suit tie. Buy a couple of suits, you, that's the first thing you need to do. I'm like, why is that? Like, I'm not gonna, I am not i do not even own a suit. I think I have a tuxedo from like band, <laughs> but I don't have a suit tie. It's like, well, go buy one. It's like, Cause that's gonna be your suit of armor. I'm like, what does that mean? Your suit armor is, you're going to fake it until you make it. You got to you gotta dress the part, act the part, and be the part. You got to dress on where you're going to be, not where you're at now. Not only that, it deflects all the no's that you're going to get. He was totally wrong about that, by the way, because the <laughs> no's still stung like heck. But he really taught me, like, that pseudo armor will get you in the mindset that for ev- the 10% rule. For every thousand people you talk to, you're going to get 900 no's. Nine hundred knows you get one hundred maybes. Of those one hundred, you'll get ten people that said, "All right, let's talk." And at, one, at those ten, you'll get one person that says, "Okay, let's have that conversation." And you get a real bite to really, really move on to.
1: So, how long did you? How far up on that pyramid scheme did you get?
2: That's interesting. Uh, I made over two hundred thousand dollars my first nine months.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah. you're like that one percent that actually does well in the so multi-level I- marketing.
2: I don't know if what the percentages are, but I had success in it um, because I think I, because I had access to the owner and he was teaching me how he built the company. Okay. Um, and, you know, he taught me the three foot rule, right? You know, anyone with three three feet, you got to talk. So now my wife, Nan, um, she always is, either laughs at me or is irritated by me because when I'm in the bathroom line, I can't not help myself but talk to the other guy in the bathroom line. It's just it's just built into me now. Oh,
1: Wow. But it's That's really tough. Ta-
2: yeah, it's actually really interesting, only because it's taught me to get outside of my shell.
1: Okay, so you are having success with these vitamins or supplements. Um, same time, you're running your family's hotel. Yeah. Um, what was the what were the finances looking like there?
2: So at that point in time, um, we had I had access to the marketing department at the the vitamin company, and I was really asking them questions. How do you market your product? Um, I realized that our online distribution of the hotel was very, very lacking. Mm-hmm. So we met with, met with my general manager. He said he'd been talking about this, but the family wasn't really on board with it. So one of the changes that we made right away was, you know, we changed the um, uh, Al, the general manager, really pushed forward and got the online travel agents on board uh, and got them to sell our product and really got a wider channel of distribution. And from there, we saw sales double. You know, in the course of three years. So, um, at that point in time, the finances of the company were great. And at that point in time, I was learning how to more budgeting, finance. I was taking accounting certification classes. And, and
1: this was like 2005.
2: This is 2005. 2000, no, more like 2006, 2007. Okay. So 2006, I was really getting into forecasting, because everything was on the up and up, right? Everything was really, really going up. I figured something would have to start dropping down. Um, all my banking, all, so that board of governors that I was talking about earlier, my uh, bank advisors, my uh, everyone, the economic advisors were all like, We got to get ready for something. We got to get ready for something. So it's okay. Well, let's figure out if I can tie um, stock indexes to the hotel. So in 2008, I had built a forecast that says, 2008, we're going to see a 30% decrease in our hotel revenues. Let's build a budget around a 30% decrease. And Everyone and all my friends in the industry were basically saying, you're crazy. There's no way that we're going to see a 30% drop. I was like, okay, maybe not you because you're a business hotel, but I'm a leisure hotel. So I'm going to see a 30% drop based on the volatility index, the housing index, the oil index, the Dow, the NASDAQ, everything, the spider. I put all that into one thing, leisure products and whatnot. I even have like the price of milk in there (laughs) as an index. So, um... And I built that out. So I'm going to see 30%. And uh, my general, my new general manager at that time was like, "Elvin, I can't work on this budget." It's Like, well, you're going to have to. We're going to we're going to prepare for the worst case scenario and kind of go from there. Because my safeguard was the entire chessboard. I'm not going to fire anybody in the hotel. We're going to make sure that we can keep everybody employed. Sure enough, we saw a 28% decrease in 2008. We didn't fire anybody. We didn't lay off anyone. We didn't decrease anything. We just decreased our supplies and the demands of the things that we were using. uh, And we maybe uh, we cut some hours in some areas, um, but we kept everybody employed because of the, the forecasting that we had done.
1: Elvin was shaping up to be an astute businessman. The hotel's revenue was growing every year and they rode out the Great Recession without taking too big of a hit. But running the hotel was never enough for Elvin. After nine months in the multi-level marketing company, he took his $200,000 profits and got out. He started doing some consulting for small businesses on the side.
2: But I started doing turnaround consulting for some small companies. I started learning some more things about, I got really good, unfortunately, I got really good at firing people uh, <laughs> or reorganizing companies. Um, from
1: <laughs> what a, were you, like 26? Uh, yeah. So they would bring in a 26-year-old man yeah. to fire
2: their... Yeah. Most, most, they were all small businesses. They were all very, very small, like um, at most eight or nine employees, right? At at a time. Um, But they would bring me in because they didn't want to do it themselves.
1: Elvin also tried his hand at a tech startup, an online shopping venture. But Amazon came along and completely killed that business. He did nightclub promotions for a friend, a side venture he says built his confidence and taught him more about marketing. And then he got a job at an asset management firm. He learned about investing, then took the money he'd made from his stint in multi-level marketing and put it into real estate. And yeah, he was still running the hotel
2: too. I started buying and selling real estate on the side um, because that's how you build real wealth and longevity for the family. Um, And then uh, I tried to build another hotel. So I tried to create a, um, hospitality, it was called hops, Hospital opportunity, placement, something. I can't remember the actual acronym anymore. Uh, it was so long is so long ago, but I had gotten, uh, investors from Hong Kong and investors from China, um, to invest in a new hotel to buy. Um, and that actually started cause I took a job at an asset management firm. Uh, and, so you'll, you'll find that I take jobs to learn tr- trades. Sure. So um, I didn't had no idea how to do asset management, how to find properties, how to do this. And so I said, okay, well, will you hire me? Actually, six of the companies turned me down. They all thought that I was trying to steal secrets, which I was, <laughs> uh, but one company uh, actually hired me. And I went to go, I worked with them for a little bit um, and learned their process how they looked for things how they saw things how you know the research that went behind it and i found a bunch of hotels so um, the frustrating part was i found great gems to buy um, and they wouldn't move on it so mm. i had left the company at that point in time raised money on my own and as i was putting money together uh, i finally had a property in phoenix arizona that i wanted to execute on um, but when i finally I had all these letters of intents ready to roll But since the letter, the LOIs didn't have any clause that says, well, if you pull out, Ah. there wasn't any penalty to it. They just pulled out. (laughs) Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So (laughs) everything is like, okay, well, that really hurts. So I had to, you know, I lost some money on that deal, right? Um, Because I reneged on a purchase contract and I was, you know, doing everything. And um, it was a lesson. So it was just slowly learning how to do business. And, kind of stepping into my own shoes. My mom always told me I was a person to learn from mistakes and I had to make my mistakes first. Um unfortunately some mistakes really cost me. <laughs> yeah.
1: At this point, I mean, how much money are you making from the ho- like it, it, at this point in the your life when you were buying doing this other stuff and trying to buy this hotel? Yeah. I mean, were you com- are, like making a million dollars a year? Or?
2: Well, the family was making a million dollars a year. So, I um so how it works was everything goes to the family. Okay. So I was making $40,000 a year. Okay, because yeah. you have
1: to divide it between your mom, your aunt? No,
2: so my mom and my uncle were okay. the people that got divided. Okay. Um, but I was just a salary employee oh. of the company. Okay. So I, even though I was the manager of it, um, I made $40,000 a year. Um Granted, I definitely the, the the family provides a lot more like housing, all that kind of stuff, and cars, okay. and that's how we kind of run all the finances through. Um, but personally, that's what I was doing. Okay. So I was also, and I think that was by design um, in my trust from my dad, um, was for me to learn how to build a life on my own and not dependent on the family stuff, because that's what he had to do. So he was always, even in his in in his death, he has. Has continually to teach me how to build my own.
1: Do you come up against the sort of stereotype where people like, oh, that's that's the guy who inherited the hotel from his dad
2: all the time. Yeah, does it bother you? Does that bother you? Uh, no, because it's the truth, right? So if it's if I can't prove to you already that my actions have spoken louder than your words, then. uh, There's nothing to really prove to you if you're going to hold the stigma that i'm the guy that just inherited a hotel and i'm living you know comfortably because I, i inherited a hotel then that's always going to be your opinion um but if you know me through my charity work through my activism and through the work that i do outside of the hotel in the small businesses i'm trying to create and employ other people then you know me as a different person
1: elvin did scale back his side ventures a bit after the economic crash in 2008 focusing more of his energy on the hotel. But in 2011, when things started picking up again, he got the itch. This time, he got involved with multiple hotel trade associations and his local business improvement association, Discover Pacific Beach. He also helped start a new company that sells software for hotels.
2: Really was looking for a platform uh, that we could text message, that we could digitally route tickets. Who's Um, we? uh, My general managers and I. Okay. So my my general manager, myself, uh, and I think my front office manager at that time.
1: And you just saw a need for better software for the hotel
2: industry. Correct. So we were looking out there. We were looking first to see if there was anything built. Um, and we found the, other, the only option out there at that time was way too expensive. It was actually cheaper to develop something instead. So we developed it. Um, my business partner, George and I, we sat in a room together and we was like, hey, this is what I need, what do you think? And he says, well, is there a business for this? I'm like, yeah, there definitely is. Um, so we just started designing it from the ground up. So built a online, um, like a pass log um, um, journal entry kind of system uh, with ticketing platform for housekeeping and maintenance, text messaging platform, um, all in 2011, way ahead of a lot of the stuff now. So, um, what we lacked was the marketing dollars to really get that stuff out there. We're still running as a business today, oh. but um, it just lacks the the dollars to really push out there we have a revamp coming up this year actually for the SaaS company hotel beat Uh, so it's called hotel beat the pulse of your hotel got it um and we're really pushing forward on getting that out there because we still think it's a great piece of software Uh, it really solves a lot of my problems as an independent hotel owner and i know it's going to solve others
1: in 2012 elvin joined yet another business venture He became a partner in Abnormal Wine Company and helped the business raise money to expand and become one of San Diego's first and only brewery-winery-restaurant combos. The place is in Rancho Bernardo,
2: and Elvin says business is good. We've just constantly been growing. Uh, 2013, I've really started with them. In April 2013, we went to do a fundraising for the expansion of the restaurant, Um, and we had then finished that raise in August and started construction in September of 2000. How much money did you raise? We raised 1.5 million at that time.
1: Okay, so from private investors? Private, all private. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, we haven't taken any institutional money yet. It's all been private. So it's a lot, a lot of pitches. A lot.
1: But the business ventures and his involvement in trade organizations still wasn't quite enough to fulfill Elvin's drive. After one of his hotel guests was assaulted by a homeless person a few years ago, he decided to spearhead a program meant to get homeless people off the streets of Pacific Beach.
2: You know personally, the my self-interest is if Pacific Beach doesn't grow and beautify and evolve um, positively, then there will be no business to have because there's no business district to have it in or community to support it. Um, on top of that as well, I believe that it's also my responsibility as a business owner in that area to contribute to those who are unhoused, who find themselves unhoused or in a situation where they just need to lift up to help them out out of that as well. So we created PB Clean and Safe um, basically out of the, the thought that we weren't, we weren't getting any help. We weren't getting the support and we weren't getting any response either on it. So as an entrepreneur, I just said, okay, well, let's do it ourselves. Let's see what it's gonna do. Uh, Lori Zaff was very gracious in giving us $45,000 for that first year and a half that we've got um, out of her have her funding to really stimulate that. The business improvement district put some of their funds to that. Um, and then the business community involved started putting money towards that as well. Um, so we've came up with enough to hire um, 20 in total. So far, we've hired 20, uh, uh, Twenty-two individuals through PB Street Guardians. So Pacific B Street Guardians is these is the subcontractor who is also five hundred one C three. They specifically work with homeless individuals on cleaning. So we hired them. They hire individuals. They've helped twenty-two individuals and gotten five individuals off the street permanently back home with their families so they can recover. So I think that's the best bet. I mean, so dollar for dollar ROI wise, if we want to talk that our program has definitely worked the best. Uh, and the other half of that was National Public Safety came on board as a security contractor to really deter those bad actors from being bad actors. So it's, it's a real combination of, you know, you have to have the security, but you also have to have the ability for, to uplift everyone at the same time.
1: Elvin was also recently appointed to the San Diego Convention Center Board. He's 36 and one of its youngest members. He says his need to be involved in the community came from a talk he had early on with his dad.
2: One of the big things that he left with me also is the game of chess. He, when I was ten years old, we were playing chess. He asked me, "You know, do you want to be the chess piece or do you want to be the chess player?" I'm like, "I mean, what's the difference?" You know, he's like, "Well, it's they're both very, very important. Being the chess pieces and being the chess player, the chess pieces are just as important as the chess player. Which one do you want to be?" And and me, I was like, I want to be the big, tough guy. And it's like, I want to be the chess player. That's the most important guy, right? He goes, okay, that's fine. If you want to be the chess player, but you have to be responsible for the board. And I didn't know what that really meant until he passed away. So, and what that means to me now is if you're going to be responsible for the, if you're going to be a responsible chess player, you're not only responsible for the, your chess pieces, but for your opponent's chess pieces and for the board. So, in, instance, for the hotel, the hotel is there because of its competitors. And if it doesn't have competitors, it won't. If the competitors aren't doing well, then your hotel is not going to do well. And the chess board is the community. If the community is not succeeding and thriving, then there's no business to be had either. You have a responsibility to the community that you're doing business in as well as responsibility to your you know, competitors that they succeed as well. And that's why I'm so active in the community. That's why I'm active in our trade associations. It's based solely on that principle.
1: Elvin's hotel's annual gross revenue is 3500000 million. He's got a lot going on. These days, one of his big jobs is advocating for short-term rental regulation in his role with one of the hotel trade associations. At that Sidewalk Cafe meeting with Barbara Bree, he lobbied pretty hard for tighter rules and said he backed her most recent proposal. But with all that he's done and continues to do, Elvin says he doesn't consider himself successful quite yet.
2: Uh, when my father passed away, um, I said, okay, well, if I can't become a doctor, then I'm going to open a free clinic. So I'm going to serve people by funding a clinic where doctors can help people. So it's all about that board again, you know, making sure that that community foundation is solid. So I, I guess my success is the moment I open the doors to that free clinic, and I'm able to fund that through a trust on a yearly basis without external donations, that will be my point of success.
1: Elvin just welcomed his first kid into the world, a baby girl. He said he's finally starting to see the importance of spending less time working and more time at home. It's funny though, because his solution to that problem is to start yet
2: another business. That's my biggest failure is that I don't have that balance yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm working on that. So I've actually launched a new business this year <laughs> and to, to free up my life. So it's a business management, business solutions company where the first customer is me.
1: Thanks for listening to I Made It in San Diego, folks. If you like the show, please consider just taking one minute, going to voiceofsandiego.org and clicking the donate button. Make sure to write in podcast in your checkout. Thanks for listening to Voice of San Diego Podcasts. This show is part of the Voice of San Diego Podcast Network. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcast. There you'll learn more about our award-winning arts and education podcast, cast, and Good Schools for All, the Cure Chaos podcast about movers and shakers on both sides of the border, Beer Talk Radio, our business show, I Made It in San Diego, our sports show, The Kept Faith, and the rest of the shows in the network. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit. The majority of our budget comes from grants and donations from readers and listeners like you. If you like the show, please take a minute to go to voicesaniego.org and click the donate button. Or if you have a business and would like to sponsor the show, contact development at voicesaniego.org or call 619 619- 550-5664.